Hey, everybody. I'm entertainment journalist Drew Taylor. And I'm filmmaker Charles Hood. And we host Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But right now, we're about to launch our first ever universe-expanding miniseries. That's right. Get ready for Light the Fuse presents The Directors. We'll speak to filmmakers who have made iconic Paramount movies and get them to open up in a way that only we can. That's right. Listen to Light the Fuse presents The Directors wherever you get your podcasts. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hi, it's Josh. Hi, and it's Joe. And you're about to listen to another great episode of the movies that made me. Uh, just want to give you a heads up. Many of the movies, occasionally we'll talk about something that's pretty obscure and has never come out on video. Most of the movies we talk about on the show are available at MoviesUnlimited.com, which is the movie collector's website. Yeah, don't waste your time streaming or looking for your favorites on TV. You can own them. Physical media, babies. Yes, go to the TrailersFromHell.com website. Click the Movies Unlimited banner on the website and you can buy your favorites from them or go right to MoviesUnlimited.com. Shipping is always free on orders over $50. Movies, movies, movies. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. I'm sure I've auditioned for Joe sometime at some point in my career. Maybe. I, can't, I can't believe that's true. You would have gotten the part. Oh, thanks. Right Joe. answer. Right answer. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Uh, uh, yeah. No, I, I've never met you. Live in, you've been living because I think the New York, L.A. thing. You're yeah. in L.A., Joe, right? I mean, well, I, I grew up in the, on the East Coast, but I came out here in 73 and I've been out here. Yeah. Yeah, there's that wow. difference in the coastal thing. That's, but anyway, yeah. I'm glad to see you, and I, I love your office. It looks amazing. <laughs> like a it's, lot of movies. There's a lot of stuff here, yeah. It's, uh, I would describe to our listeners what I'm looking at behind you, Fisher, but but I, I won't. Um, yeah. <laughs> is, this a, is it too obscene? You know, so because I'm, I'm basically, uh, I've been, I, I'm in my bedroom because my kids are doing homeschooling upstairs. Yeah, but is it too is it too risque? All the, the... no, no, it's it's great. It's art. It's, it's great just, for radio. It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, great for radio. <laughs> we were not going to we're not going to say a word about what we're looking at. But this is just going to be the great mystery for the listeners. All right, good. Okay, he's good. sitting in yeah. front of it's art, folks. It's, yeah, art. it's art. It's art. It's total um, and, tasteful uh, art. Yeah, we are. We are. Uh, well, we're 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 back. We've been off for a little while. Um, Where you been? Uh, oh no, we just, we've just been off. You know, where, where have you, we we've been all the way. We're in quarantine. <laughs> our holiday. We're, we're we're ending our holiday hiatus. Yes. All right. Yeah, all we've right. just been we've been off the internet. You're you're our first guest for the new season. Great. New I feel year. honored. I feel excited. And, um, new year, I, new 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 everything. Okay. New well, regime, we were, new everything. We were waiting. The whole deal was we were waiting to see how the election went because Joe and I had a had a deal. Um, if Biden won, I would go back to doing the show with him. But if Trump won, uh, Joe's new co-host was going to be Randy Quaid. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, can I tell you my Randy Quaid story? Sure. You can, sure, yes. Uh, I, it's not that exciting, except that uh, I was in a movie with him, and we had, uh, I believe she was a PA on the movie, but it was his soon-to-be wife, and he met her on the movie that I was in, uh, called Bloodhounds on Broadway. Mm -hmm. oh, that's it. Yeah, that's the story. And, and uh, uh, how, how but, was but, but Randy Quaid was a very different dude back then and uh, very different. I mean, geez. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, there's a number of people who've gone over to the dark side for, for whatever yes. reasons later in their lives. Um, yeah, but. it's true. I also worked with Ron Silver and uh, 
twice once when he was uh, he he went to the dark side the last time i worked with him it was yeah, very yeah john voight same thing right um i watched uh there was a i not that new but like a year a year ago a new blu-ray of salvador and it's just it's so odd oh. watching james woods in a movie like that or true believer oh, wow. and then recognizing the the gap between <laughs> who he's playing and who he is yeah but, wow i know well anyway yeah let's, let's uh, uh... <laughs> hey. hey it's all over the world's better everything's fixed um yeah. let's move on we haven't even um uh i don't even remember joe we we we, uh, we don't normally introduce our guests we just we just go into it and um uh joe always thinks we should introduce them and i always maintain that our listeners by the time they get here know who we're talking to but um wow but not if they're in their car Yes. <laughs> no, we're here. Very excited. We're here with uh, uh, a young man who's um, uh, done, done a bit of acting in his time and uh, moved moved up to uh, directing. Um, done a ton of documentaries. I, I, I apologize. I was not. And I have seen some of them. I just hadn't connected them with anything. Sort of. uh, but um, we've got Fisher Stevens here. He's got a new film uh that is either about to come out or has just come out uh if you're listening depending to on us. when you listen to this depending on when you're listening yeah. yeah or came out years ago if you're uh right. listening oh to us in the future oh. um, <laughs> it's an old movie already a, yes yeah. yes jeez remember that i remember those days yeah i uh. I, I i had hair a little bit of hair. <laughs> but yeah. uh yeah no it's palmer starring uh, justin timberlake and um uh it's a it's a lovely film um Thank really I, congratulations and uh you got some great performances i my wife and i were sitting there finally it was like she, she goes and terrible thing to say to a director that we did this in the middle of the film but believe me we were watching we were paying attention she said who is that look them up and i'm looking at imdb and i did not recognize juno temple at all she's yeah. um that's uh that's uh that's a wild thing i think when when an actor shows up on set and looks and acts nothing like themselves that's got to be disconcerting. she is amazing and that was justin's uh and his manager uh rick yorn's idea Juno mm. temple to play that part because they had played uh in a movie uh that woody allen had directed called wonder wheel uh mm -hmm. years before and uh i guess when they read the script they just thought of her and i was like oh i would have never thought of her yeah because it's, it's not it's not what you think of. I mean, no. it's just, yeah, no, she's, she's terrific, but, um, it's a lovely film. And of course we never talk about our guest work, so we're, we're done there, but, uh, no, okay. congratulations. That was so nice. <laughs> I liked, I liked that you called me a young man when you introduced me. That was really wonderful too. I already love your show. Well, I, I think we're probably around the same age. So there's a lot of like, yeah, uh, good. I'm, so you're... I'm working on my own issues there too. So okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but uh Fisher, I actually realize uh walking in normally I know what they're gonna what we um I don't know what what you came here to talk about. I know you want to talk about movies. Yeah. Did you did you come up with uh uh yeah, you know, I came up with my uh I came up with a list of 10 movies, but it's 10 is a tough number, obviously. I know it's it's hard um, to hard to winnow it down to 10, isn't it? Wow. Down or was was it getting it down that was hard or getting it uh no getting it down. I mean I, I okay. thought of like I thought of like 30 actually. Uh but but uh I, I'll jump right in. You know what's great about this is that I actually revisited a few of them uh in the last 24 hours. Just oh great, not the whole not the whole film, but just mm -hmm. you know. um and and the other great thing about this is when you ask someone to name 10 movies you start going into your library or your, and you just realize how many amazing films there are. And then you get excited that you're in the business and then you feel good about what you, and it was, <laughs> I don't know, I felt, I love the assignment and I'm grateful you guys invited me on because it just got me. Oh, fantastic. Uh, it, so it's got been me uplifting. Ready. Yeah. So far it's been very uplifting. Yeah. You may hate my films and think I'm a uh, complete, uh, you know, I'm bringing up some bad movies, but anyway. No, you can, uh, any, that's the, the thing about this show is that you can, it, it's called the movies that made me. They don't have to be good movies yeah. that made you. They could right. be Ed Wood movies. But in a lot of right. ways, sometimes those pictures are very resonant and they lead you to think yeah. about other pictures and other things. And, and that's why it's so hard to winnow it down to 10 pictures. Cause every time you think of one, you go, oh, but the, the guy also made this and then there's that. And then that leads to this. And you know, before you know it, you're like putting your head in a, in a bucket, you know? I know, but it did make me also just want to watch movies 
fantastic. Now's the time. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I know. I actually, thank God I'm doing a lot of interviews and press and I just can't. But anyway, um, you want me to jump in? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's start. So these are just, these are kind of films that mean a lot to you that have. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah. Just jump in. However, in whatever sequence you want to go in. Uh, But yeah. Well, the the first one I'll start with is very relevant to today. And I've, I've been obsessed with this movie forever. Um, but it, it does it definitely will resonate. It's a, a face in the crowd, uh, directed yeah. by uh, Ilya Kazan, written by Bud Schulberg. Bud Schulberg yeah. ha- has always been one of my idols and my heroes. Um, uh, and uh, that movie uh, just—I mean, obviously the the reality TV star becoming a political uh, animal. Uh, it's it's just incredibly resonant, and you watch it now, and you're like, "Holy shit, it's crazy!" You know. Yeah. But what's amazing about that picture is that uh, at the end of the movie, for an, until until recent until the until the election, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies, and I could watch it anytime, any place. But when you get to the end, and right. Walter Matthau makes his speech about how we always catch on, how the public always catches on, and you know, you can fool some of the people, but you can, but in the end, we can always, in the end, we always get the drop on them. And Oops. I'm thinking, this ending isn't true anymore. Yeah, give me a rewrite. It's, just, it's not happening. <laughs> this is, this is the, the one thing in the movie that wasn't prescient. And now, as it turns out, it's back. The ending is back. It's still a great yeah. ending. And um, it's even more meaningful. Yeah, you still have 35 million Americans or so believing the election was not, but we have time to yeah. make them understand that democracy does. But yeah, the 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 thing about Bud Schulberg, you know, uh, on the waterfront, my favorite book of all time, What Makes Sammy Run, uh, you know, uh, fighting for every man, fighting for justice, and it's it's just he was so prescient and. And it's a beautifully shot, beautifully acted. I mean, God, and to see Andy Griffith go from that to the Andy Griffith show, it's just, it's bizarre. I don't know. I'm wondering, Joe, if you know, or, or Josh, like what, why, like he, his career could have gone a very different way after Face the Crowd than Andy Griffith. Well, but Face well, the Crowd was, it was, it was not a hit. Not only was it not a hit, it was a fiasco. And uh, I think that he probably was told that, you know, no time for sergeants is what the kind of stuff you should be doing. And, uh, you know, he didn't do a lot of dramas until later in his life because uh, that was his big shot. He was great in it. And uh, it, it did not catch the public's fancy, needless to say, because the public were portrayed as generally as boobs in it. And, uh, you know, that, that, that one scene, the, the, what they call the Uncle Don scene, where based on the idea of a kid show host who, yeah. who swore on, t- on the radio after he thought the right. mic was off. Uh, that'll hold the little bastard, and that that ended his career. So they so Bud based the scene where they hear uh, Lonesome Rhodes actually talking about what he really believes, uh, and and then it cuts to a whole bunch of shots of different people going, "What? What are you kidding me?" And then they, and they 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 instantly turn on him, which I think is a little bit facile, but uh, but it's very satisfying. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's what it's always fascinating to me too. I somehow I. Uh, the trailer popped up the other day and I hadn't seen it in a while, but yeah, that was, you know, cause it was Griffith's first film. And in the trailer, I don't know if you watched it, Fisher, where you looked at the film, uh, he is introduced as being, you know, the hot new discovery from the guy who brought you Marlon Brando and James Dean. Oh my God. No, I didn't. See and that. you, you watch that yeah. film independent of any Andy Griffith baggage, which I guess you wouldn't have Joe. He wasn't like, no, a famous he, wouldn't. He, was a, he did radio stuff. Yeah. yeah you, you'd be yeah. like, Holy shit. Look at this guy. Yeah. Here's, here's another one of those. You know, um, it makes you wonder what would happen to Brando if, like, his first film had bombed. Would he be a right? Would he have been Brando? <laughs> well, it's funny. I uh, I made a documentary for Netflix uh, called "The Confidence Man" about Trump that I started right after the election, and I interview the producer and the editor of The Apprentice, not Mark Burnett, but one of the main producers. And this producer had tape. He was the famous producer that that texted, tweeted, like, if you heard the things what Donald he said, Trump was, yeah. you heard what, what he, he said. Really yeah. yeah, and and he had death threats and all that. But I kept waiting for that moment of Trump to like leave the mic on and really people under, people who voted for him to really hear what he thinks about them, but yeah. it never happened. So uh, anyway, that, that movie really 
is a brilliant piece of art, I believe. And yeah, uh, it's so good. Do, do, do either of you know, do you even know this was happening? There was uh, a couple of years ago, there was supposed to be um, Elvis Costello was writing the songs for a musical version. Yes. Uh, I haven't heard anything about it in a long time now. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Wilson, um, uh, the actor, was playing Andy Griffith in the musical workshop, I know. Um, wow. And uh, I don't know what happened with that. I, I do know that in the 80s, Don Johnson was going to play that part and Whoopi Goldberg was going to play Patricia O'Neill. Yeah, and uh, that movie fell apart. But I know that they actually were almost in prep for that film at one oh. point when Don Johnson. Oh, it was a film. Oh, for the film, yeah. For the film. But the musical, I don't know. You know, I, I think, I don't know what's happening with it. I know Patrick's wife, Dag, she's working with me on Succession. And she told me that he, was, he had done the workshop and said the music was incredible. Of course, with Elvis. Yeah, yeah, I would think. Would think. Well, you should encourage her to <laughs> encourage him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Great idea. Especially yes. now, and sorry, you're you're uh, directing on on Succession. No, I'm acting. On oh, right. Okay, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely love that show. Good. It's uh, yeah, good. it's yeah, yeah. Uh, well, cool. Well, what's what's next? What do you got? Uh, well, you know, uh, the other another film that I, I mean, I, I would say another film that I was loved and always is one of my tops is Lolita the original with uh, James Mason and uh, Shelley Winters and uh, Sue Lyon. So, yeah, yeah. And, and Peter Sellers, like who's like one of my heroes. I had to put a Peter Sellers movie. I couldn't decide Dr. Strangelove uh, or that, or there's so many Peter Sellers. I, I love Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers is just one of my gods, my acting gods. Um, and uh, that movie is just, so crazy the the opening from the opening to the where it goes and james mason's acting me being an actor i i i just think that guy's one of the greatest most unsung actor greatest actors that ever lived and that performance in particular and shelly winter i mean it's just an actor's yeah. beast and kubrick i remember like there are these long takes like it's not very cutty he played out really long scenes and, um, and it's just, Oh my God, Mason's madness, the way she drives him mad. I don't know. And, uh, it's beautifully shot again, the beautiful black and white Kubrick being a photographer, just yeah. the long hallway. I don't know. So I I'd say, I don't know, Joe and Josh, you guys can probably school me on what a bit about when they were making it. And, I think that was Kubrick's like fifth film or fourth film. I'm not sure, but it's a masterpiece. In my that opinion. was the one where he decided yeah. that he was going to make movies in Britain, whether they were set in America or not. And uh, there is a second unit that went to America to shoot a bunch of exteriors. Exteriors, uh, yeah. But for the most part, um, most of the exteriors are actually interiors. Um, you know, the scenes you, in the backyard and all that stuff. That's, those are all on, yeah. on stages. But they're really, wow. really, they're really well lit. And you kind of can't tell. Um, but, P but Peter Sellers is particularly amusing in that picture because he's the villain and yeah. he's also has a scene with Mason outside, uh, on a porch in the hotel, Peter Sellers, where, he, where he does a Stanley Kubrick impression for the is entire that what it scene. Is? Yes. I was trying to figure out like the Bronx accent. No, where did he he's get... doing, he's doing Kubrick brilliantly. Is that, I found that out doing the show, talking to Joe, because that might be my favorite Peter Sellers scene of all time. It's the creepiest, oh, funniest thing oh I've ever God. seen. He just makes your. Well, he's pretending. He's pretending he's a policeman. I'm a policeman. Yeah, yeah. I'm with yeah. The, yeah. The, 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 the no, he's, you know, he's, he's really he's really stooping the girl, but yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, if you know, I'm I, I also am a huge fan of Peter Sellers, but but you have to take into account the fact that the man was absolutely mad. And right. if you see the documentary Ghost in the Noonday Sun, which is by Peter Medak, which is a movie that uh, he that, that Sellers scuttled, basically. And it it's a fascinating. How do I see? How do I right, see? That I, believe, I believe it's on Netflix. The doc is called The Ghost of Peter Sellers. It's yeah, it's Netflix or Hulu. And it's about yeah. the making of Ghost of the Noonday Sun. And when you and, and when you look at this footage, which is it obviously wasn't going to be a very good movie anyway. Yeah. Uh, but with the, the lengths that 
sellers went to to sabotage himself and everyone else uh, is is just shocking. Um, I mean, it, there, there's a, a good bio about him, which I can't remember the title of also, which is right. full of a lot of incidents of self-sabotage. Uh, but he is, he was a genius. And I guess the, sometimes the price of being a genius is that, you know, you're, you're nuts. Yeah, he was. Wait, Peter Medic is a Hungarian filmmaker? Yeah. 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 I apologize. I just, it's on Amazon Prime. I just checked. Okay. Amazon Prime. Goes to Peter yeah. No, Peter Medic's daughter, uh, I had uh, played my girlfriend in The Marrying Man, Karen Medic. And I had never heard of him. And she told me at the time uh, about her dad. And I, I, I haven't heard his name or her name for a while, but now I'm in. Well, he's, uh, he's actually done some really interesting movies. Great movies, uh, yeah. That's what I heard. I can't wait to. The uh, Ruling Class is, is a masterpiece. Yeah. And they did that. Oh, he did the Ruling Class. Yeah. Yeah. He did the ruling class? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, shit. Okay. And then he did this spate of great crime films in like the 90s. He did The Craze, the one where Spandau Ballet played the two British gangsters. And then he did. I love um, The Craze. I didn't even put it together. Yeah. Okay. And then Let Him Have It, which is a great film about uh, um, public execution in England. Uh, incredibly powerful stuff. And uh, I, I know him a little bit through, I guess, the Masters of Horror dinners we go to. But because he, um, he did the changeling also he did the changeling with george c scott oh wow um, wow what a career yeah and he's still every time i hear his name i have this whiff of sadness because uh the early 90s my very first movie first script i ever wrote and sold was supposed to be directed by him with gabriel byrne and stephen ray in the leads and then there were a few bumps in the road and it ended up starring um uh, a very young Casper Van Dien and being directed by a, a, a let's say, not Peter Medak director, and <laughs> oh, went straight to video. So, <laughs> oh, I've had a, I've had a lot of those experiences. Oh yeah, I've had plenty since then, but that was the first. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, take 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 uh, take comfort in the fact that now everything is straight to video. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes, but True. Lolita is so I I. You know, I was a kid when I first saw that film, probably on TV, and you know, I didn't know the book, I didn't know any of this stuff, and it's such an odd film, uh, especially if you're coming in from a vacuum, you know. But the the tonality of it is something I'm obsessed with. It just oh. it just feels like you're living in another time in a way that so many movies from other times don't quite. I just it it just makes me want to live in like what is it 1962. Um, yeah, it you really then that small town which now you're telling me was in probably England, but yeah. supposed to be New, New Hampshire. Shropshire, yes, yeah, that 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 and, and like why wasn't James Mason just doing more? I don't know. I wanted. It's funny because his career obviously he's like a legend, and you think of him in almost the same sentences Olivier and but not quite but you know but like he never like I want I wish he did more I just wish there were more James Mason movies listen he was when I was a kid he was Captain Nemo and from then on I was a fan right, right. <laughs> Captain Nemo God, he has so got I think my favorite line reading of all time is um uh oh my god what's what's the um the Sherlock Holmes movie with Christopher Plummer murder by decree murder by decree murder by decree he plays Watson, Christopher Plummer's Holmes, and they're looking for Jack the Ripper. And there's a wonderful scene where James Mason is eating dinner and he's chasing the last pea around a plate with his fork. And it's not getting on the fork. And Holmes walks over to him and he just takes the fork and he goes, he mushes the pea and hands it to James Mason. And James Mason looks at him with this hangdog look. This squashed my pea. Well, now you've got a corner. Yeah, but squashing your fingers pea. Hmm, I'm just trying to help. I didn't want it squashed. I didn't like it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's also he's oh, he's, he's he's also great in a, in a movie called Bigger Than Life, which is a oh uh, god yeah, yeah. Uh, a Nick Ray movie from the fifties about a uh, a family man down. who is takes too much cortisone. Is 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 a cortisone? Uh, the uh, doctor yeah. prescribes a lot of cortisone. He starts abusing it, and he gets a god complex. And uh, it's there's some some of the most shocking fifties imagery in that movie at one point when he announces to the family that god was wrong and uh, it's 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 a pretty chilling movie actually wow all right i'm gonna I'm, I'm writing that one down wow okay that's great 
Uh, all right. Well, Lolita, what a movie. And Great Sue stuff. Lyons. Oh. She's so beautiful. She, she's, oh. And she's really good at it. And I think she deserved a better career. Even yeah. though she, yeah. she, worked, she worked for John Ford and she worked for a lot of famous people in, John in, in less interesting roles. Uh, but, uh, and she, I guess her life was kind of bumpy and, and ultimately tragic, but, um, oh, she's shit. really terrific in that movie. Yeah. Oh. And Night of the Iguana too. She's wonderful. And right. I love that. Right. Show. right. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to change my list because you guys got, got me <laughs> oh, in a job. No, you're not supposed to change your list. <laughs> all, right, all right. I was just going to only in, change uh, once a day. You're augmenting uh, your list. Okay, well, I was going to like, because you got me into John Huston and I was going to, like my 11th or 12th film, I was going to, anyway, maybe I'll save it. I know I was going to put Fat City on my list, but. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, let's yeah. do it. Uh, let me just say Fat City, because it really influenced me with making my film, uh, Palmer. And uh, of course, I, sure. I, I, I have to say that uh, I made Timberlake watch it like three times. Um, and my DP, we all watched it. Um, so I'm going to just put it on the list because I have to say as a documentarian and watching the way Houston captured that California town and those people, the real people, he obviously put long lenses on and got captured real people in life and Stacy Keach. Oh my God. And, and, um, uh, Susan Terrell, Susan, Susan Terrell. Terrell. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I just think that movie is so painfully beautiful and and john houston made that that was sort of like the near the later part of his yeah, life it was toward, toward the later the, the yeah. it was one of his later last films like right and the way it opens with that song i don't know man I, I i just think that movie is so underrated and so powerful and um it's grim grim it's i know grim. Grim. i picked a grim I mean, I've been meaning to go back to it. In fact, I think Criterion just came out with it a while back, and I got it, and I've not, not watched it. You haven't been in the mood. Haven't been in the yeah. <laughs> when will you? Be? I guess I'm in the mood now. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'll probably end up watching it tonight after this. Uh, I got to work with with Susan years ago and got to know her pretty well. She even she gave me a kitten. Um, but just oh, wow, fascinating, incredible, incredible woman. Just brilliant and funny and. Filthy what about that performance though Did, was she not was there any oscar nominations she was nominated, she was nominated. yeah okay and, okay and i think that's the only time and she really she deserved better so I mean, we, we keep talking about actresses who deserve better that's uh um i guess that's almost by definition isn't it in this town well especially when they pass a certain age yeah mm. we watched for some reason friends of mine and i watched uh angel again recently the the, the dopey drive-in movie about the teenage hooker and um, Susan Terrell and Dick Sean are in it playing a couple of sort of street characters. And I realized we all had the same experience. We'd just forgotten everything about the movie except for them because the movie's completely forgettable. But they're right. so good. It's like someone didn't tell them they're in a crappy drive-in movie because it's you can just watch the two of them. Dick Sean plays a, a transvestite prostitute and Susan Terrell's this eccentric artist. And they're so good together. <laughs> And what about Stacy Keach at that point in his career? Because that was like a big role for a big. I mean, like, do you think he went to like McQueen first or someone like that, and then, or I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, well then, let's lighten it. Let's lighten it up a little bit uh, because I I did just watch this documentary on John Belushi, and then I went back and watched Animal House again, and I just remember that Animal House is like a masterpiece in so yes. many ways and so how much it, in, it influenced my acting you know i i was 19 when i did this movie uh or 20 uh my science project and i remember just kind of trying to steal john belushi uh takes in uh <laughs> in animal house and just going i i laugh so hard and it still holds up and yeah. you think about how many actors came out of that? It, it, I don't know, man, that movie is just still fantastic. So I would say that's one of the best comedies. Yeah. I don't know what year, I can't remember what year it was 79 or something. 79, 78. 78. 78. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah. I, I, I had that experience a while back of going to see it again. And, um, cause so many movies from that era and of that type have not aged well for a lot of reasons. 
Right. Um, but right. so few of them are actually really well-directed movies. I remember sitting there thinking, you know, the time may come when I've seen it so often, none of the jokes land for me at all. And it will still be a pleasurable film. You could never be a studio executive because the whole way that they look at comedies is, yeah, it was funny the first time. It's not funny now. Take it out. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. No, it's so good. And that amazing score and just. Uh, yeah. I mean, and there's Toga Party came out of that. Otis Day and the Nights came out of that. Yes. You know, I'm a zit came I'm out a zit. of that. <laughs> um, and then, you know, people like Bruce McGill uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, Kevin Bacon and Peter yeah. Rieger and like, um, oh my God, it was just, it, it was an incredible film. And it, and I couldn't believe, like you said, like how it, you still just can't stop laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, the horse. The horse. <laughs> oh, Niedermeyer. That, that, that guy was fucking great. You he's know? Amazing. And he's an archetype now. That's, uh, you know, dude's a Niedermeyer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, just, um, yeah, I mean, I would argue that uh, both both of the Trump juniors are Niedermeyers in training. Yes, but, yes, uh, yes. Uh, okay, yeah. so great film, great film. Okay, yeah, that one is just. Really... What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right, I'm going to go with something that you guys, I discovered um, by mistake on Criterion a, a, a few months ago in quarantine. It's a, it's a long, beautiful Cuban movie called uh, Lucia by a guy named um, Solas. I think it's Hector Solas. And what it is, is I think it was made in uh, right after the revolution, but it's three stories of the Cuban, uh, three Cuban revolutions, the 1890s, the 1920s, and then the Castro. And it's called Lucia. And it's in three parts. Um, I got to tell you, there's a scene, uh, there, there's a, a battle scene in this movie. Like it's the Mexican uh, Civil War uh, in when, that, when it was in Cuba. It's one of the most profound, uh, they're native, like indigenous people fighting against troops. The native indigenous people are naked on horseback, basically. Uh, I'm thousands of them. Like it's it's the biggest. I I, I don't know how I never heard of this movie. I, I, I it was, it. yeah. You guys should check it out. It's called Lucia, and I uh, I would love to talk to you guys after, not on offline after you see it and, and see what you think. But it uh, if you have Criterion, it's on that, and it it's a lot about it's about this the three women named Lucia, three generations of Lucia. Uh, and it's a historical Cuban film that just blew my mind. Oh, Marty Scorsese. The reason I watched it, it was like Marty Scorsese presents one of those. Oh, one of those. So, yeah, so he's, he, he's, he's aggregated a whole bunch of those pictures that he thinks people should see. Right. And and he restored it or he was responsible for mm -hmm. the restoration. Right. Um, Do you know the film, Joe? No. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right off the bat. First, first episode of the year. We've stumped Joe. Well, I, I don't I, know. I, it. There, there is no reason to. I, 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 I think it's a very underappreciated film, and I was glued to it. And I was the acting is incredible, and uh, these women, they're three different Lucias, and they're all just magnificent. So, um, anyway, like, I uh, love that. I love that kind of thing when you okay. yeah, watch something like that. And it turns uh, that's what that's what this show is for. Yeah, great. Okay, another film that uh, I, I, it really inspired me also for Palmer, I watched it many times, uh, was Paper Moon. Mm. Um, Peter Bogdanovich, I believe it was his third film, maybe. Uh, it was the one... It was after Last Picture Show. It was after Last Picture Show, but it was... So, was it after What's Up Doc or before? I think it was... Wait, I think it was before, because I think What's Up Doc was 72. I think this was 71, maybe. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. 
Yeah, I don't remember. That sounds right. 73. Okay. But I, um, you know, when I read the script of Palmer, it really reminded me of the, the boy just had, there was a similar vibe to Tatum O'Neill in Paper Moon. So I felt like I, I wanted my character, my boy to be that good, you know, and I actually, I've had the, uh, the good fortune to have met Peter Bogdanovich a few times. And um, I called him before I started shooting and I was like, hey, Peter, uh, listen, I know it was a long time ago, but I, I wanted to know if you'd talk to me a little bit about Tatum and directing a kid. And he's like, yeah. And it was like, it was literally like the guy had finished making the film like a year ago. You know, it was like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, can you give me some advice? Cause I have a seven year old who's my lead basically opposite Justin. And he's like, yeah. And, and then he told me that the most important, two of his, the most important things he did for directing Tatum was one, he'd get down on her level and always look her in the eye and direct her always from her level. And two, he treated Tatum like an adult actor, um, but also knowing never to try to lose her confidence, keeping her confident, but at the same time, not coddling to her. And then he said, three, I never let Ryan talk to her. <laughs> I, kept, I, kept, I kept Ryan away from her in terms of directing. Um, yeah, they go home together and stuff like that, but I never wanted him to give her a direction on the set, and it was very good. But anyway, so um, I love the film. I mean, Madeline Kahn, just ama amazing. The production yeah. design, the, the way he shot the film, um, the way he had Tatum's point of view. I mean, there were definitely moments where I stole ideas from from that movie from my film in terms of where to place the camera at times and um i just oh god the humor in that movie and uh that the performance that girl was just i mean i don't know i think she was nine or ten she was just well yeah there's real. scenes in there where it's just the camera's just on her too they're not they're not cutting away and building a performance with a couple lines which is usually how you get around a nine-year-old actor it's um uh, she's she's incredible in that film, and which which reminds me, I I was I was uh, not not to downplay my response, but um, I guess we should. I want to talk about the kid in your movie for a minute, even though we're not supposed to do that, because uh, I I thought he was terrific. My wife is obsessed with this child now, so mm. uh, she'd kill me if I didn't ask you at least where where did you find him? <laughs> yeah, so I auditioned like three hundred kids, and and he. Uh... Justin had said, Timberlake, because like, I'll read with as many as you want, but I need at least six. I need six. Six is the number. No five, no four. I want to, and if you have 10, I'll read with 10. So I had five kids and they were very different. They were older, some of them and more gender. Uh, you couldn't tell uh, one or two of them if they were boys or girls, you know. And then uh, I needed a sixth kid and there was always Ryder, but he was seven. He was younger. Child labor laws would have made it really hellacious to cast him because I get less time with a seven-year-old than an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old. Every year you get more time. But I, uh, I threw him in at the last minute, thank goodness. And uh, as soon as Timberlake read with him, it was very clear that those two guys, that that was our, our, our boy. And the other thing is that... Um, uh, they, they just had this instant thing that they did, which is they listened to each other. They listened. And I noticed that most kids don't listen when they act. They're always ahead. Ryder was incredibly in the moment. Uh, so we just got so lucky. And he'd never acted before, really. Oh, I won't, that's not true. He had a no lines in a Law & Order episode playing one of the Menendez brothers at, at six. And, and There's a credit. Yeah, and he had no lines as a, in a commercial. Where he just kind of, you know, like ate Jello or something. That was wow. it. Never done. Nice. It He's fantastic. He's fantastic. So did you uh, did you get around the your 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 age problems by having a, a double to to shoot with? Yes, but it ended up very. We, we it just very very rarely did it work. Unfortunately, you know, it was Ryder was so, and the way I filmed a lot uh, was a lot in in one take or. Just the way that I made the movie, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to use the double, but I did have one. Um, I had an acting coach for him on set, which really helped because we shot the film in 25 days. And, you know, when you only have the kid for six hours a day, it's, 
and he's in almost every scene. It was really challenging. Um, so it was like a puzzle putting together the schedule, knowing that we only had him for a certain amount of time. And I wish the double had worked out more, but it just, you know, it was, there's not a lot of backs of heads or, you know, and, and, uh, and because Justin, you know, there's, there's a couple moments when we'd send him home and if it was a single on Justin, where we'd have either the double read or someone else, but that, that, yeah, I, I thought we could do more of that. And that was, that was really tricky because of the way the movie was uh, designed. Yeah, they, they work great together. I mean, and that, that movie lives or dies on just the, the, feel, oh. the feeling between the two of them. And it's just uh, beautiful. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I would have been sunk. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, another movie uh, that I'm sure you, Joe, and you probably know a lot more about how it was made than me, which is a classic film, but always been one of my inspirations is Sullivan's Travels. Uh, Preston Sturgis, Joel McRae. Oh, yeah. Um, and I always love that because, you know, especially, and again, if you look at that movie today, it has a lot of resonance. You know, a guy, you know, a, a filmmaker who tries to live the, his life like his subjects and hates making comedies and then realizes what he's given. But that those scenes with when he, you know, becomes a, a homeless person, a hobo back then they would call it. And I don't know, there's just, Sturgis has always been, you know, we could have put three or four of his movies in this list, but this one just really affected me when I saw it. And when I see it again, it just had, it, it, I don't know, it just lives with me when I make movies, I guess. Well, that's one of the, that's one of the movies along with Face in the Crowd that, that every so often you read that somebody is going to remake. Mm. Uh, there've been all these attempts. Well, I said, you know, remake a Sullivan's Travel because people, they'll, they'll look at it and they'll say, wow, this is really good, let's remake it. And there are certain movies that resist being remade. And there are a number of movies that were remade that should never have been remade. And there's some other movies that were remade where it's the remake that we remember and not the original. But, mm. but Sullivan's Travels has such a uniqueness to it. And a lot of it has to yeah. do with Sturges and his writing and his long takes, you know? Mm. Uh, I mean, the, the, opening, the opening scene in the, uh, in the office is like this, it's, it like runs a whole reel. You know, right. and, it, and, and it's all choreographed so that you don't have to have cuts and you don't have to have close-ups and, and the dialogue is rapid fire and it's really funny. Uh, it's, um, it's an amazing film. It's, I, you know, it's the I think it's the best film Veronica Lake ever made. Hmm. Was Who that was considered innovative then, what, the way he shot that opening? I think, I think not many people were doing that, no, but that was why he wanted to direct, is because he was watching right. directors make a hash, he thought, of the scripts that he wrote. And so he went, okay, well, I'm, you know, uh, I'm going to do this myself. And he did his first picture for a dollar. You know, he gave, he gave, he said, I'll direct this picture. I'll give you this script and I'll, I'll direct the picture if you can, if, for a dollar, if you let me direct it. And, and that was the great McGinty. And, uh, and which is not, I don't think one of his best pictures, but nonetheless, it's the movie that it put him over. And, uh, you know, Veronica Lake, uh, <laughs> it was so difficult to work with that Joel McRae refused to work with her again uh, after that picture. Really? Uh, when she made I Married a Witch with Frederick March, uh, they hated each other so much that it was like hard to um, conceive when you see the movie, which is really excellent. Uh, you, 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 they're so professional. I mean, the, the, the performances are so good that you can't tell that they were doing terrible things to each other. She was, she was putting weights in her clothing when he picked her up so that they make him make him mad I mean, she was she was really a, a, quite something apparently and I, I i'm sure there must be a bio about her a book about her. wow um but you know she 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 became particularly famous because she worked with alan ladd who was the same size as she was which is right. pretty rare you know um and then she had the peekaboo hair and the whole thing and she was cute i mean she and she was a good actress but apparently she was really a nightmare oh i've never wow. heard this i'm so sad yeah, I love I'm, I'm always amazed by that. That that uh, you know, you hear that enough that it's it's a thing. I mean, I can't imagine as an actor having to get up every morning and pretend to be just cheerfully in love with someone who I want to murder. Yeah, um, yeah that's acting. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, Fisher, I won't ask you specifics, but I mean, have you found yourself in that situation? Simple yes or no. Well. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, mean, I, I can, I can even. I, I won't say the movie, and it's a movie nobody saw. But I had to do a sex scene with an actress that I couldn't stand, and did not. And I'm. Oh my god! 
God, it was a nightmare. Well, luckily it wasn't a porno, so you didn't have to. Hey, hey. oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do you know, Joe? I haven't known him in three years. You don't know about it. Yeah. Joe's no, seen no. every frame you've ever been in. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, thank God you missed that one. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> move on, move on. Yeah, moving on. Okay, uh, another movie that I just recently watched uh, that I, is a classic. Um, and I watched it also because of what was going on in our country. But uh, I re it's still amazing. It's Do the Right Thing. Uh, which I couldn't believe when I watched it again after, you know, George Floyd and Eric Garner, it just how prescient. And by the way, it's a great movie anyway. And my next door neighbor is Rosie Perez in real life, my oh. great friend. So oh. I see Rosie, I talk to her and I've always loved that film. Uh, a little bitter and angry. I wasn't ever cast in the Spike Lee movie, but uh, I think that movie is a masterpiece and it's even better now when you watch it 25 years later. Um, and I live in Fort Greene now and you know, it's, it's crazy like how much has changed and how little things have changed. Mm -hmm. But the filmmaking itself, the opening with her, you know, yeah. uh, and, and the, the acting, the acting is just incredible. I mean, Sam Jackson in that movie, man, that's what I think. Uh, anyway, I, I love that film. And it's it, glorious. It really, it's really glorious movie. Up. I remember seeing it like I tell you, I saw it in Westwood like the week it came out. And you know, Spike had made some good movies, and you're like, okay, yeah, this will be fun. This will be fun. But just right off the bat, it just announces it's something different. And uh yeah, every time I go back to it, it's like I did did it diminish in my memory, or is it just better every time? You know what I mean? It's uh incredible film and incredible look at. It just it's oh. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ernest did such an incredible job of of capturing heat on film. I can't think of another movie that. Uh, yeah, it's a great point. You know, yeah, maybe maybe Lawrence going across the what is it called God's Anvil? That might be the only hotter scene in movies. That, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I love it so much, and I'm I'm obsessed with the fact that like Spike called up Chuck D and said, "Give me the greatest rap anthem of all time," and Chuck D said, "When do you need it?" <laughs> and delivered it. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that film, man. Yeah. Uh, okay. Then, uh, well, I, I, I have to put a Scorsese picture in, and, you know, that was tough. But because I'd say the movie I've seen more than any other movie in my life is Raging Bull. So I'd say I've seen Raging Bull more than, yeah, any other, any other movie. Um, I never get tired of watching it. Um, and uh, I have a personal connection to it. That's so stupid. But uh, I, I, I was thinking, well, how, I, how can I sound interesting talking about Raging Bull when it's been discussed? But I want to hear more what you guys have to say. But well, what's do, your personal connection? Well, my, it, it's, it's the dumbest thing. But basically, I was uh, a 13-year-old kid living in the meatpacking district in a loft in Greenwich Village or 14 at the time. And my mother, or maybe it was 14 or 15. And I, I, I had decided I was going to be an actor by this point or, you know, studying. And my mother told me that Robert De Niro was coming to look at buying our loft because we were broke. We needed to sell this loft in the meatpacking. And uh, he's playing this boxer and he wants a loft to turn it into a gym. And she said, we're even discussing possibly turning part of the loft into a gym and keeping our bedroom so we can, you know, still live here. Uh, and, she, and I, and, and I said, Oh my God. And, and she, I cut school. She let me stay home from school in bed, pretending I was sick. And, uh, when he came over to look at our, our loft for a raging bull to buy and it didn't work out, but I did get to meet, that was the first time I met Robert. De Niro. And you got to perform him. for him because you were acting sick. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and did he exactly. figure out you were acting or did he see no scenes? Exactly. He didn't even know I was. Oh, you so that's yeah. how good I was. There you but, go. Uh, there you go. I did. I did. I did screen test with him for uh, I was testing for Once Upon a Time in America to play one of those kids. And I told him that story uh, and uh, I, it didn't help. I didn't get the job. <laughs> so. Uh, but let's just say that movie, you know, come on. I, I mean, it's still, 
I still try to understand how you made how he made that movie, like how how that movie. Came. I don't know. It's just it's perfect to, to me in so many ways. But um, everything about it. It's so. remarkable how many black and white movies you have mentioned, which I think which, I, I, I'm I'm all for it. I, I most of my favorite movies are black and white. Yeah, well, your your podcast, you know, these are the movies that really make me feel, and these are the movies that have influenced me, for sure. And I, I think, in a weird way, you're right. It's like, maybe I'm reminiscent of the past. Um, you know, all the stuff we looked at to prep for Palmer were, we, there were two modern movies we looked at. One was called Mustang, which hmm. is a movie. Which is good. Matthias Gunnar. Really yeah. good. Matthias, yes. Oh. And the other was called Rider. Uh, that's awesome. Rider, yeah. which is a great movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, Josh, it's amazing. Rider was supposed to be a documentary. It was this woman uh, who's now actually directing a $200 million Marvel movie. She just did Nomadland. Oh, the um, Nomadland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she, sure. she had discovered this uh, Native American rodeo in North Dakota, and she was going to make a documentary about this rodeo. And she went up there and started filming and realized, oh, my God. I, I, no, no, I want to do something different. I want to write a movie based on your stories and have you guys act and do my lines. And that movie's beautiful. It's called Rider. Um, well, it's kind of, yeah, Nomadland kind of has that too, where there's a couple of- Well, Nomadland, it's, 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 what's astonishing about Nomadland is the performances by the non-actors. Yeah, right. Often, All basically often, playing often, playing, often playing characters with their same names. Yeah. Uh, and doing long soliloquies that you assume are written, but then you think, well, it couldn't be written. It's almost like this guy is just telling me, or this woman particularly, right. yeah, uh, is 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 telling me this life story, you know, and and uh, it's very moving, and much more so, I'm afraid for me than the part with the actors, you know. Uh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see how she does with the Marvel film. It's like a, I think she's a, actually using real superheroes. <laughs> yeah, she, she got she got the real people. And uh, yeah, they're going to talk about went that to crypto. <laughs> yeah, she it Our actually show. worked out. Yeah, <laughs> that's the DC universe, Joseph. Yeah, those are the only two contemporary films that I uh, that I used for prep, and then I went deep into. I mean, we we watched all the Dardan brothers films. Uh, but, um, but another film that actually influenced me and it's a little creepy and weird film, but I, I don't know. It just had a profound effect on me. was, uh, <laughs> Murmur of the Heart by, uh, Louis Malle. I, I wanted to put a French film on the list and I was toying between, cause I love Truffaut and Godard's early stuff. And, and I definitely was affected by those French films and, and, um, always have wanted to direct something in Paris uh, as oh, wow. in, I, I acted in a film in Paris. It was just another one of my unforgettable movies that I was in. But, um, but this film in particular, it, it's set in uh, 54 during when French invaded Indochina, it was called then Vietnam. Um, but it was shot in 71. Um, and it obviously deals with uh, adolescent sex and sexuality and, um, family and class is a big part of it, you know? Um, and I just was like blown away by the, 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 it's so brave that film and Louis Mal is just, oh, I fucking love Louis Mal, man. It's such a tragedy. He died so young. Cause you could tell he would have had another 10 great films at least. Um, but anyway, I, I don't know if you guys saw, I'm sure you've seen it, but, uh, that film just blows my mind. It's just really deep. It's in color. But it's very muted colors, very, you know. But. <laughs> it's okay if we talk about movies in color. They don't have to all be in black and white. Well, I know, back to, before, just back to that comment, what's interesting is that two of the black and white movies he's, he's mentioned were films that were made in the color era. So yes. they're, they're right. distinctly right. 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 black and white. And Raging Bull. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Interesting. Um, I, I, I know of the Mal film. I have never seen it. I have to admit. Oh, you should see it. But Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, but, a, it's a gap. Yes. Yeah. No, he's, he's magnificent. Um, I just, I don't, I don't know that one. Joe, I, I was wondering, it's another, you know, film with a young actor. Um, it's like, a, it's an incredible 
incredible performance. I don't know the boy's name, but I'm wondering whatever happened to that boy. Um, oh, from Murmur of the Heart? Yeah. I don't think he was a professional. Right. He didn't seem possible. He was so, I don't know, that guy was, that, that kid was just unbelievable. Um, yeah. Uh, I love those movies. I, I could just, you know, that's what I'm saying about what you guys had me do. Then I was just like, I just want to watch all Louis Malle's films. And I just want to watch all Truffaut's films. And I want to, you know. Um, Too many movies, I think, finally. Sorry? Too many movies, I think, is the problem. It's, it's, uh, well, it used to be too many movies, not enough time. Yeah. Now there's too many movies, but there's, and there's still not enough time, but there's a lot more time. I mean, it's the downside <laughs> of the show is I literally have three movies now that I want to watch tonight. We plan to watch something else and, I, and, and we'll never get to them. And I just, I think people just need to stop. I think really is what happens. Uh, we stop, need, stop making them. Stop making movies for a while so I can catch up. Well, we sort of did. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. A, I think there are a lot less movies made last year than the year. There before. are fewer coming out this coming year, I think, probably than in the past few years. Yes, I would wager. <clears throat> what is that poster behind you with the yellow poster? That, Josh. Sweet smell of success. Okay, that. That's okay. So that is that on your list? That's on my list. It's it's another black and white, but that is that that was like my eleven. I think I've done ten, maybe, but sweet smell uh, of success. And I was looking at that, and I was like, is that? Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis. Yeah. Um, so uh, they're a cookie full of arsenic. Yeah, <laughs> match me, Sydney. Uh, there it is. Yes. Do a lot then of people, Sydney? Hit... I want to chastise you. Oh, <laughs> cats in the bag, bags in the river. What a movie, man! Do a yeah. lot of people pick that? Actually, it's 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 been fairly popular. It's come up. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I that's why I actually that's why it wasn't in my top. Uh, 10 because I was like, I, I'm sure these guys have talked about this movie at not many times. Yeah, but I know, probably not as often as I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And the fun thing is, is, is getting um, sort of the individual takes on it because it's sort of one of the things we try very hard to get away from is kind of you know, the academic approach to film. And um, the more people have something to say about a film that they're, you know, that is unique to them. The and every of- so often there's, they'll surprise you, you know, a part of one of the, one of the adjuncts to the podcast is the website trailers from hell, where we have these, you know, uh, trailers with people talking about filmmakers talking about the movies that they, that they liked. And it, it's always interesting when somebody comes on, like, I think it was Mark Pellington came on and uh, did a diatribe about why he doesn't like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. And uh, I can't say that I agreed with what he had to say, but it was it was it was kind of refreshing to like yeah. get a different perspective on something that we all have sort of ingrained opinions on, and that there's a sort of holy grail about what these movies are and who likes them and what they're good at. And 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 every so often somebody comes with a pin and just sort of punctures it, and mm. it's it's interesting, you know. Yeah, I like that. But nobody can puncture sweet smells. No, no, no. It's, it's, and, it's really great. And it would be wrong to try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be a, yeah. 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 No, no, no. Yeah, no, no it's, it's such a lovely film. Such a lovely film. Well, Wait, are you saying we've, we've done 10 already? Uh, I believe that's. Yeah, we did. Lord. But, but we, 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 we gave as good as we got. I, oh, I, I, I have one more. I had one more. Oh, right. uh, I, I had to include Coppola, but I was like conversation or apocalypse now because the Godfathers, that's another. So I put apocalypse now. I haven't seen the, uh, I saw the redo. Uh, and but not the re-redo. I heard, I heard, that's there's right. various variants. Right. So I haven't seen the various variant, but um, uh, it's funny. We were working on the set uh doing succession the other day and uh, to get us all jacked up, you know, uh, just as a warm up, uh, one of the actors brought a, brought in a boombox and we played Ride of the Valkyries. And so I decided to ask all the young actors on the set, what does this song mean to you? And not one of the youngsters, the, by the way, this wasn't the principles that you see. This is like more of the, you know, uh, day players and background artists, but not one of them could name, not one of them said Apocalypse Now. I'm like, what? They didn't even see the movie. No yeah. one had seen the movie. Nobody yeah, under they were 30. Yeah. Now you got, you got to realize that the upcoming generation has not had the opportunity, and I'm being charitable, 
the opportunity to see movies in, in, the, yeah. in the situations and in the bulk that we were able to do as we were growing up. And so as a result, uh, they have to have things pointed out to them. That's why we do the podcast. That's why we do the website. Is, is if, they, if you don't know about something, then you, know, you can't have an opinion about it. And right. as famous as some of these movies are to us and as meaningful as they were in our lives, uh, they just don't mean anything to some of the people who are coming up now because it's outside their frame of reference. It's just not something that's part of the way they grew up. And as, yeah. we, as we all know, one of the reasons that we are who we are is because of the influences that we had while we were growing up. And, and so many of the movies that people talk about on this show are, people, are, are movies that they saw when they were younger. And yeah. it really you know, resonated with them and made them think and sent them thinking and, 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 and creating in different directions than they would have had they not encountered them. But if you don't have the opportunity to experience them, then, you know, it's just, it's like a language you don't know. Yeah, and another day of cutting school was uh, cutting school with my, my great friend, Josh Cox in high school, uh, getting a joint and taking the train uh, up to uh, the Ziegfeld Theater and seeing Apocalypse Now when it first oh. came out, Sit, sitting there in the back and just like going, oh, you know, like serious memories, you know, like yeah, yeah. the Ziegfeld is gone. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, like you said, Joe, it's like, yeah. The um, the new the new version, I'll, I'll say it's 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 worth seeing if you love the film, just because it's interesting to see him play around with it. But he is not, uh, you know, it's, you're still going to go back to the original it, yeah. cut. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he, can, he can leave it alone. I will say this. We talked about this. I did watch his recut of Godfather three recently, which just came out. And um I really liked it. Uh, mm. My wife Nancy had never seen Godfather three, and she she's watching it. She's going, "Yeah, it's not the Godfather, but why do people hate this movie?" Like, mm. But um, yeah, so it's, and it, I, it got better. It, it did get better, I think so. No, yeah. he changed it around though. Yeah, he, he changed it, it. This is a recut. It's got different footage, got a different ending. Yeah, um, uh, and uh, I, I guess I guess there are times when he wasn't satisfied with it that it went out anyway, and, and we all we've all had movies that that did that, and some of them some of us are lucky enough that the stuff still exists, and somebody wants to pay for going back and and uh, reconstituting yeah. it. But for the most part, nobody does, and uh, all that stuff gets thrown away. So mm. we're, we're, we're most of the time we're stuck with the magnificent Ambersons version that we have. Right. <laughs> we, you know, What's we're interesting, gonna, we're I, not going to get another one. I think he knows something because you know every time he's recut Apocalypse Now, the original cut is still available, and it's usually they're packaged together, and it looks just as good. But with the new Godfather three. You know, that's now the new version. I think he understood. Oh, that's what he learned that from Lucas. Well, yeah, but he didn't do that with a new uh, kind of Apocalypse Now. I think he knows that he has genuinely improved Godfather 3. And I think he knows that Apocalypse Now is a masterpiece all on its own. Don't fuck with it. But Yeah, why? Because when I remember paying to go back to the Ziegfeld to see the redo, because yeah. back then the Ziegfeld was still open. And I was like, huh? Good place this? to see it. Yeah. But, but this is what. what yeah. What? But it had more Playboy bunnies than that. <laughs> Yeah. It did. It was, there you are. Yeah. of all the movies that you don't need to add, you know, attractive naked women to, it's like a, you know, one of those grueling films about Vietnam is probably top of the list, I think. Yeah, it's a, it's an incredible film that takes you on these constant journeys yeah. in one movie. And, you know, the tiger scene, I, I just was on the safari in Africa and uh, I, I reenacted that scene just jokingly uh, <laughs> in front of a cheetah. Uh, but, but. <laughs> But um, I, I just think, and, and the actors in that movie, from you know Frederick Forrest to Harrison Ford, Lawrence Fishburne, at fourteen years old, you know, to Martin Sheen, to Dennis Hopper, to Marlon Brando. I mean, it's like whoa, to the Playboy yeah. Bunnies. It just goes on and on. Colleen Camp, that's right. Yeah, well, maybe it was in Colleen's uh, contract that uh, after a certain number of years, he had to be edited back into the picture. That's right. 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 <laughs> right. Wouldn't surprise me. Wow. Well, Fisher, man. Thanks so um, much. Yeah, these are great. Our first, our first guest of our new incarnation. Yes. All right. Uh, well, thanks for having me, guys. And uh, this was super fun. And I'm just opened my mind, as I said, and I can't wait to dig back into my Criterion collection when, we, uh, when I finish press today. Awesome. And tell folks. Um, when he's doing this in the middle of doing press. Imagine how exhausted yeah, he is. Yeah, was, this is more fun. Yeah, um, this isn't, yeah. When I'm done doing podcasts. That's right. <laughs> Uh, when just just so folks know where where can they see Palmer? Um, 
this is going to drop like right around the time it comes out. So, so uh, Palmer will be on Apple TV Plus the 29th of January, and in if all goes well, this next week uh, between 25 and 30 theaters across Fantastic. America. Theaters? Yeah. You mean those places where people all sit together and watch a movie on a big screen? Yeah, but you're not going to sit together uh, unless you're in the same pod. You're, they're only going right. to be 25% capacity and no one, yeah. But listen, I'm grateful they're putting it on the big screen. No, and, it's, uh, it's wonderful. It's the way to yeah. see a movie. You the know how movie. it used to make me crazy. If I go see a movie in an almost empty theater, it's like 50-50 whether or not some complete stranger will walk into the empty theater, look around, and then sit either right behind you or right next to you. I'm wondering if that's still happening. You know, or right like in front of you. That's not happening. That's not happening. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining thank us. You, Fisher. Uh, the movie's Great Palmer. It's wonderful. Great to Check meet you, out. too. And um, yeah, you know, if you ever want to come back and talk some more about this stuff, we are here. We're always it. here. All right. Thank Great you. Great to do this, guys. See you later. Thanks. Okay. Check out Lucia. See you later. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made. Stay safe out there, folks. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit.